This podcast is not intended to provide nor replace medical advice from a qualified medical professional. This podcast is not intended to provide nor replace medical advice from a qualified medical professional. Last week, we heard about Tom and his problem with initiating the inevitable collapse he is sure will come. We talked about catastrophizing, how and why we tend to cause the catastrophe, and that we're naturally capable of maintaining a high level of performance when in the correct mental state. We also talked about a method to help us compartmentalize our intrusive thoughts so that they don't affect our golf swing. In this episode, we'll talk about making every shot an individual, how and why it's beneficial to our golf game, and introduce an activity to help us to focus on each shot as its own. My name is Patrick, and this is The Mind Game. Each golf shot we take has the potential to carry with it the entirety of our existence, both past and future. We carry our memories to the ball and give it our expectations before we send it into the sky, and we do this over and over again. But it's not just the memory of the round we're in, or the last few rounds. We bring our entire lives to the ball. Everything that we have experienced up to that point has the potential to affect our mental state and some of us are more affected than others. I'm sure you know someone who can take phone calls or texts right up to the moment they hit the ball and don't seem affected by it. Others get nervous while standing over the ball on the range. Most of us lie somewhere in between, swaying back and forth. Sometimes we are capable of great feats of concentration and focus. Other times we feel as though our golf game somehow managed to fall out of our bag somewhere on the last hole. Most of us are capable of compartmentalizing certain things in our lives. We've developed that ability over time so that we wouldn't be constantly hounded by a particular thought or memory. In extreme cases, people who have endured significant trauma have compartmentalized it so well they don't even remember it happening, or at the very least don't remember any details about the event. While compartmentalizing is a powerful tool and is useful on the golf course, it has the potential to be quite dangerous. When we become proficient at compartmentalizing on the course, we discover that it is also useful in our normal lives. And because compartmentalizing is both easy and effective for us, we use it to deal with any stressors that we experience. When our boss is critical of our performance, we'll compartmentalize. Or when we have an argument with our spouses, we'll compartmentalize. The problem with this is that we are simply collecting all of that stress in one place, but not dealing with it in a productive way, so that when it gets released, it all comes pouring out at once. When this happens, our minds become overwhelmed and incapable of managing it at all. Often, much of this is going on in our subconscious mind so that we feel the physical effects of the stress while noticing the uncontrollable thoughts racing through our minds. The least of these effects is the inability to focus or concentrate, the most intense being a complete shutdown in the form of a panic attack. It is hard to imagine anyone who would wish to put themselves in that situation, yet most of us do because we're not presented the benefits of alternative approaches. 
our emotional lives have become a cycle of not having the tools and techniques to use anything other than compartmentalization. Imagine only having a brake pedal on your car. You can stop quite easily, but can only idle or coast slowly down the road. Now imagine what would happen if we were faced with a steep downhill road. How long could we ride the brakes before they failed? How would we respond when the car suddenly accelerated beyond our control and comfort level? Being able to accept the existence of our stressors, observe them without attachment, and give them space to exist outside of our conscious lives is an effective and healthy method of being intentional and deliberate with our stress management. Recognizing our stressors is not only the first step in our process, but tends to be the most difficult. This is because most of us have compartmentalized our stressors long before we give ourselves the opportunity to validate their existence. We don't have the tools to manage those stressors beyond burying them deep down. So compartmentalization becomes our only option. And without the proper tools, when we lose control and a thought slips through, its effects on us are so great we decide that compartmentalization is the only useful method. Giving validity to the existence of our stressors provides us the first step in a healthy and effective stress management system by giving our conscious minds the opportunity to recognize the stressor as a tangible thing. And since a stressor's effect on us depends solely on our attachment or clinging to it, recognizing its existence also helps us to see how and where we are attached. Without attachment to our stressors, they have no influence or effect on us. This is an age-old trope that I'm sure we can all relate to. It is the core concept of the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. While we all learn this as a method to deal with being picked on when we were young, its message can relate directly to our thoughts at any stage in our lives and in any situation. Imagine watching someone say terrible things on TV. Now imagine those same words are being said by someone you trust and love deeply. Which one do you think would have more effect on your emotional state? Simple, right? This is because we are merely an observer to the situation while watching it on TV. This is the foundation on which releasing our attachment is based. The secret to success here is to address the stressor itself and not the effect. Using the TV example again, this means that we are focused on the fact that hurtful things are being said, not on how they would make us feel if they were being said by a loved one. If we are focused on not attaching ourselves to the emotional effects, it means we have already allowed ourselves to attach to the stressor and feel the emotion. But it's too late for us to have any meaningful process. Up to this point, we've recognized our stressors and detached ourselves from their ability to affect us. The last step in our process is giving them space to exist. We can't eliminate stressors from our lives, even the ones we create for ourselves. We can only give them space to exist without attachment to them. When we do this, we eliminate their source of energy, which causes them to dissipate from existence. There is no danger in recognizing them and giving them space if we are not attached to them. In fact, this is the only healthy way of managing stress in our lives on a long-term basis. This is a deliberate process that requires an element of discipline and desire to continue. While there may be immediate effects on our more superficial concerns, the more aggressive stressors aren't going to be as easy to work with. As a result, we must be diligent in our approach to the method. 
We always recommend that you take the golf activities that we present to you off the course and out into your normal lives. And this is no different. There is, however, an interesting situation where applying this episode's activity on the golf course can serve as a magnificent starting point and foundation to effectively engaging the process in our normal lives. Because this topic is quite intense, incomplete in how it affects us, using our time on the golf course can help us build strength in the process without presenting us too drastic a change in our lives. Be assured, though, that as you find progress out on the golf course, you'll carry it out to your normal life also. The activity presented in this episode is much like learning to ride a bicycle. In the beginning, you can expect to find quick successes that are immediately followed by setbacks that, if not recognized as part of the learning process, can quite easily become so impactful that you become discouraged enough to convince yourself this whole thing is worthless. We would like to encourage you to persevere through those initial stages with the understanding that the more you practice, the better you'll get. We would also like to make you aware that once you become proficient, you may believe that you no longer need to be deliberate in your approach. This is a perishable skill that also has no limit to its growth. It is also impossible to reach a plateau. If you are actively engaging, you are improving. If you are not, you are regressing. Until such time as you are no longer affected by the thoughts that exist, you will need to continue to practice this activity in the same way that you started. There are no advanced techniques. The first step in our activity is accomplished as soon as we step on the golf course, and consists of nothing more than noticing our thoughts. It doesn't matter if the thought can be considered good or bad, beneficial or detrimental. Just notice your thoughts as they come and then give them some sort of name. Something like, that is anger, or there is nervousness. Resist the temptation to say, or think, things that relate the thought to who you are. Statements like, I am feeling, or I just thought, will be counterproductive as they prevent us from acting as the observer and instead transform us into the thinker, actor, or feeler. It may be helpful to combine this activity with last week's and give those thoughts a physical location after you have recognized their existence. The simple act of being an observer to our thoughts serves to accomplish our second goal of detachment from those thoughts. Once you have noticed the thought and named it, the real work begins. It is now time to give it space and opportunity to exist without reattaching ourselves to it. This is difficult because of our natural desire to achieve stasis or balance. As the thought continues to linger, our desire to regress and compartmentalize it in the way that we always have will become stronger. If you have combined this activity with last week's, you will find that it is easier to just allow the thought to linger in its own space. Continue to observe it in some kind of physical form within your imagination. As you progress with this activity, you will begin to notice that your previous performance will become cloudy or foggy. Because you're giving less power and authority to your thoughts and are merely observing them, their volume will decrease. As a result, you'll be less concerned with how well your round is going, both good and bad. More importantly, you'll be less concerned about how your next shot will contribute to how you have already been playing. You'll be less anxious about rescuing a poor round or continuing a great one, and each shot will become its own separate occurrence. 
We would like to reiterate now that this activity is easy to perform, but quite difficult to maintain and superbly difficult to master. Consistent and deliberate attention to performing the activity is an absolute necessity. Stick with this and your perseverance will pay off. We promise. Thank you so much for listening to The Mind Game. And as always, fix your divots, repair your ball marks, and enjoy yourselves out there. Ba-do-do-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-